0: Welcome to the Ember Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today as we gather together to wrestle with the ways that these ancient texts collide with our everyday lives as 21st century people. Using art, music, and the world around us as our guide, we hope to breathe new life into these texts and that our conversations spark as much curiosity and creativity for you as they do for us.
1: Hi, I'm Jeremy Grafe and I'm one of the leaders at Ember Faith Community.
0: Hi, I'm Allison Spooner
2: and I'm the pastor at Faith, Emmanuel, and Hope Presbyterian Churches. Hi, I'm Kelsey Wallace and I'm a PhD candidate at Drew University.
1: For this season of the Ember Podcast, we're talking about the Book of Revelation. Whether you're a Christian or not, we hope you'll join us in exploring how the apocalyptic poetry in the Book of Revelation challenges power structures helps us to look at the way we use power, and invites us to resist oppression. This is especially relevant for Christians who are called to witness to God's grace, but we hope the Ember podcast can help spark meaningful conversations for people who have other beliefs as well. Thanks for tuning in. After this, I saw another angel coming near from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his splendor. He called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, It has become a dwelling place of demons, a haunt of every foul spirit, a haunt of every foul bird, a haunt of every foul and hateful beast. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxury. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, so that you do not take part in her sins. And so that you do not share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her as she herself has rendered, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double draught for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, so give her a like measure of torment and grief.
0: So last week we were in Revelation 17. And we were introduced to Babylon the Great, mother of horrors and of Earth's abominations. And this was a per- personification of the city of Babylon um, as a woman. And we talked a little bit about how disturbing and strange that imagery was. But as we move into 18, that continues. Um, as we read through it, we see that Babylon's reach is far greater than, um, just within this one city and economically and influentially, um, the implications of her fall affect a wide range of people of all different nations.
2: Um,
0: yeah. So we see it's tied in with everything.
2: I think it's interesting that the people that mourn this downfall are the Kings and the merchants of the earth. And I think in the, in the, um, Shipmasters, I think, and I think it's really telling that the people that are mourning her are the people that profited the most out of this empire. Um, and when you read the the bits about like what's going to happen to her, it's a lot of like very vengeful language like she glorified herself and lived luxuriously so give her a like measure of um, torment and grief and that's kind of not the just mercy kind of language that we're used to hearing it's very much like you messed up so we're going to give it right back to you um and in my own experience of reading this I have a hard time not thinking about our own kind of modern economic practices um, especially as American companies are outsourcing more and more to other countries and using more and more foreign labor and we know that that's the majority of that's exploitative exploitative (laughs) you have to fix that
1: (laughs) well yeah i mean it if we were, if we're drawing the conclusion immediately to modern life i mean most of us get most of our clothing from stores that are kind of these big box stores where you can get clothing for really inexpensive prices, which we don't think about, but the likelihood that they were made in like Central America or in parts of Asia where people are getting paid next to nothing to work exceedingly hard so that we can have like cheap goods, um, I think that's really important. But one of the things that's really um, that really stands out is it's all luxury goods that Babylon has had in stock and trade like there's nothing that's kind of like a simple good i mean maybe wheat and but it says choice flour and wheat so it's not it's not even kind of like standard basics of living it's kind of like the exceptional kinds like it's scented wood or specific kinds of exotic hardwoods So everything that's been the stock and trade in Babylon has been luxuries, and as it's always been, I mean, luxuries are the things that the wealthiest people usually have.
0: It's interesting, though, I was struck by, by also by the, um, who is weeping? It's the merchants that are mourning. Like, it's not the rich folks who are using these goods that are going to be most affected by this, it's... The whole economic system, you know, if people are making their living off this stuff for better or for worse. And, you know, I think it's for worse in a lot in the way it's presented. But um, yeah, it strikes me we don't hear about. I I think that the lowest uh, economic level of people are affected most immediately when anything is disrupted economically. And I think we see that here, which is, it's hard because, you know, we have these systems of exploitation that we want to tear down, but how do we, you know, how do we do that equitably? Um, And is there a way to even do that? I don't know.
2: And how do we not leave a vacuum in the wake of tearing down this system that we know to be oppressive? A vacuum would almost be more damaging more acutely damaging if if we tear down something that's broken and don't have a way to replace something that's e- replace it with something that's equitable um because there's this like measure of anarchy and chaos that would happen in that where kind of yeah there was there's inherent problems with the system that we had before but at, at the very least the majority of people were eating
0: hmm.
2: so what happens when you take away the entire system there's complete ruin not only are the luxury goods gone but your access to kind of any kind of material basic good is removed too and i think kind of on that note it's in that list of luxury goods is um, also some animals like horses and chariots but also slaves and human lives Um, and, and that kind of struck all of us i think as we were reading this um and we and we looked it up in the greek and it's interesting because there's a lot of emphasis that's put into this phrase it's not just slaves it's 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 bodies the the, the greek word means bodies um and it's followed by literally what would be souls of men so it, the author to me then is trying to call attention to the fact that there are human lives being traded and the city is kind of described as the haunt of every foul thing um and i think that's emphasis of that like we talk a lot about like this very patriarchal patriarchal book and now there's all this inherent violence in it but to me this is a way that the author is pushing back against this something that he or she sees to be painful and problematic in their own world yeah it's like slaves and just to clarify
0: what we're talking about here these are human beings (laughs) that's what I get from the way it's phrased Mm -hmm. there
1: well and again I mean we we talk about our own times and you know we're we're fully confessional about the fact that most of our electronics were probably made in factories that people weren't really getting paid well were potentially being punished for not producing enough and so we're I mean, I, I definitely see the United States as very much the beneficiary of a global economic empire, which seems to be what we're talking about here in, in Revelation 18.
2: I, I think it would be a mistake to, to read ourselves collectively as a nation into anything other than Babylon in this kind of metaphor, which is, to be quite honest, a painful place to read as a an American citizen, knowing that I'm part of this kind of economic, hegemonic empire.
1: (laughs) Well, we like to think of ourselves as like the good guys, right? And I think, I mean, we've kind of talked about this idea of there's a lot of language of judgment and division and revelation. And I think most of us would really prefer to see ourselves kind of on the side of the good guys. And we want to count ourselves, we want to count ourselves as among the righteous. But, I mean, the fact is, I mean, we're probably wearing, and this includes the people around are on the table, this probably includes the people listening to this podcast, we're, we're probably all wearing clothing that was made in a maquila, which is, you know, one of the kind of factories in Central America where people are paid less than a dollar a day, and they won't really complain or can't really complain because they'll lose their job and their family needs them. I mean, we're in some way supporting this and that even unwittingly is it's very disturbing to have that brought brought to light for us
0: it is and i think it's on one hand it's right to be disturbed by that just to be aware of it to be kind of shaken to awareness but it's also going to be interesting as we go forward and we start you know we're still in the destruction phase of revelation so as we start to look toward the future and you know where where is the hope in this can become our question um it'll be interesting interesting to see going forward what window does
2: revelation give us into the future for an empire like us we've talked a lot about creation language as we've gone through revelation and the way that things are being undone um and then if you remember back to genesis at the very beginning we we talk about creation out of nothing or creation out of chaos Um, and here we're getting a lot of destruction, but like Spoon said, spoiler alert, like the new creation is coming. And I think the hope to me in this part of Revelation is that this list of goods, this like these luxury things, the gold, the silver, the precious stones that are kind of ripped from Babylon and destroyed, those very same things show up in the creation of the new Jerusalem. Um, and there's, there's, there's a measure of hope to me in the fact that God's going to create the perfect thing out of this broken mess.
1: Okay, so if you are a frequent watcher of Game of Thrones, you will appreciate this. If you have not watched to Season 5, uh, there are going to be some spoilers here, so stop listening now if you don't want us to blow it for you.
2: Or forever hold your peace.
1: So, um, one of the things that really comes to mind in this chapter, for this has kind of come around the table for most of us, is how much this seems like Cersei Lannister and her walk of shame um, as she's punished in Season 5. And the things, all of the kind of evil and injustice that she's wrought is kind of being paid back to her as she's very publicly and graphically shamed by the entire city. And um, if you've been watching the show, it's At first, you're sort of like, yeah, she's getting hers. And as you watch, it's actually kind of hard to watch. Like,
0: Yeah, like really hard to watch. I was, you know, the emotional reaction I had to that scene was really interesting because I think it parallels really what Revelation was trying to do. Um, You know, you hate Cersei so much. She is so evil in so much that she does. And so if you get to this part where she's going to have this terrible thing happen. And you're kind of like, yeah, you got it coming, Cersei. Ha ha ha. But then it starts to happen and it's so horrible. By the end of it, I felt nothing, but I was so sorrowful for her. And like, nobody should have to go through that. So it was an interesting, um, it's an interesting parallel, I think.
2: I think the way things are filmed today, so often when there's, like, kind of gory violence or very, like, emotionally trying scenes, they're short. And most scenes in most films are shot within a few seconds, and then the camera angle changes, and you get a different view or a different person's face or a different line of dialogue. And I think the thing to me that made this so painful is that it was such a long, continuous shot. Like, she comes down the steps, and you're like, ha here we go, and then it just doesn't end and it gets worse and worse and worse and I think part of it part of what made it so hard for me is as she walks through the crowd you can see people's faces and like the pure hatred that's coming off of them and you realize like oh that was me 30 seconds ago and then you start to empathize with her and you start to think about okay or for me like I'm a woman she's a woman how would I feel to be naked walking in the streets while people are throwing like literal shit at me um and all of a sudden this like monster villain becomes a human again and you realize like the power of shared humanity in that moment. And I, it's there aren't words for how bad that feels. I think when you when you have you are forced to confront someone who has done so much evil and yet and yet is still a human and shares more with you than will ever separate you.
1: And I think to kind of sum that all up, I mean, the thing that we're getting out of that scene is there's judgment, and maybe initially it seems deserved, but maybe not quite like that. And I think one of the, the things that we've touched on throughout this unit on Revelation is this idea that on one hand, the judgment might be earned, but when it happens, it's really uncomfortable and if we're really honest about our humanity it's it's hard to watch another human person go through it no matter how terrible that they've been
2: I think part of what makes that so difficult though is that our image of God is not a God that would enact that kind of violence Um, if you follow the lectionary in your church or if you kind of pick and choose what you read like we all do If you're like me, you're more likely to kind of go to the places that are, God loves you, God will always have your back, God surrounds you in unconditional love and wants you and is a parent. And this is not the kind of loving parent that that I want to be reading about or that I'm used to reading about. But the truth is that this image of an angry, violent God, this is not the first time we encountered it in Revelation, let alone the rest of the the Bible. I mean, I think our, our text is full of multifaceted images for God. And while this one is uncomfortable for us as people in positions of power, especially as Americans in positions of economic power, um, the truth is that this vengeful, just God is a God that's very hopeful for a whole lot of people.
1: So for our invitation this week, maybe we can look at ourselves as um, in one way... Being a part of some of the sin and oppression in the world, in terms of what we buy, how we consume, but also maybe the other invitation might be if we're talking about judgment, who is that good news for? And in what way can our choices enact both mercy and perhaps a greater sense of justice?
0: As we work through this text, we want to make sure that we are also in conversation with you, our listeners. So we invite you to reach out to us with questions, comments, and we'll be addressing these as we go on in subsequent podcasts. You can send your questions to emberfaithcommunity at gmail.com. Hope to hear from you.
1: The Ember Podcast is a production of Ember Faith Community. Your hosts are Jeremy Grafe, Allison Spooner, and Kelsey Wallace. Music written and performed by Subaltern Project. All rights reserved, 2017.